like addiction. You're like, what? what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, look, I don't, I know you guys are like a top rated place in the country, but you have no idea what you're doing. These are my exact words. I'm like, if I'm an addict or an alcoholic, then so is every other 23 year old in LA. Like, write famous last words. Shh. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret, I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves and others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to go to our grave with. Are those lighter, funnier secrets that are just, just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Tess. Now, Tess, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Hi, I'm Tess and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Ooh, wow. I really liked that. That was very profesh. Like we were in a meeting. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I have to say when people used to say grateful and whatever their addiction was, I used to get annoyed with them. Oh, it's the worst at the beginning when you don't understand. (laughs) You're like, oh, spare me. But I love it now. It's such a... Because I am a grateful sex and love addict. And when I hear people say that, I'm like, ew, that sounds gross. But it's actually, it's a blessing. Do you find that? A hundred percent. I find that it's a blessing. It it took me a little bit to to get to that spot where I really did feel grateful and that it all happened kind of for a greater good, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, definitely takes some hard work to get to that place. So when did this problem start with you with alcohol? Well, I'm 27 now and I'll have You're a around, baby. I'm a baby. I'll have around uh I'll have 3 years on October 13th, which I'm really excited about. Aww. Um so I did get sober young, but uh you know, I always hear in meetings cuz we go to so many of them that you know, you kind of grow up in the rooms and that either AA or NA or whatever program that you're in kind of, you know, teaches you how to live a sober, happy, healthy life. And I feel like sometimes we grow up and we don't learn those huge aha moments, mm-hmm. but I really feel like I have kind of grown up in this program. So when did the drinking start for you? What age? Um, I would say the first time I consciously remember drinking to like, what if I was upset or to numb or, you know, kind of like that was 16, mm-hmm. which I felt is kind of, I don't want to say average. I mean, everyone's story is so different. But for me, it was 16 and then it really kind of took off next level when I was in college. So can you take us through that progression for you? Sure. I mean, growing up, my family is from Germany and, you know, everything always looked kind of perfect from the outside. I was really good at making sure everything looked great. Like Mm -hmm. I was good at school. I did all the extracurriculars. I had friends, a boyfriend, you know, whatever it was, I always make sure it looked really pretty from the outside. Um, And that's a really hard facade to keep up 
as things start kind of crumbling down beneath you. Mm-hmm. And I was in college when things kind of really started to spin out of control and it, things really started to take it up a notch. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I noticed that I had a really close friends of, you know, of mine pulling me aside and say like, Hey, what's going on? Like, this is getting out of hand. But what were those behaviors that they were noticing that was getting out of hand? Were you at parties? Would you just like... Yeah. No, I would be going out every single night. And I was always really good at making things look like I had it under control, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the addicts thing. No, I got it. It's all good. I got it. Don't worry about me. Everything's fine. Um, And so I was really good at making it look like I had it under control until I didn't have it under control. So I would be going out every single night. Um... I didn't think I was hurting anybody because it was like my own actions and my stuff. Right. That's the classic. I wasn't hurting anyone or doing anything, um, which is just so not true. Um, So, yeah, I would say it took me about four years and then I was just, you know, I love to kind of escape. And if I was feeling a certain way on the inside, I had to, you know, find external validation and go out and, you know, have superficial friendships and superficial things to make me feel to make me have that like hole in my stomach and in my heart feel complete. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely. Yes. So I love filling that void, that empty. I always say it's like that empty part in your soul that we just keep filling it with attention, buying dresses, makeup, like eating, like we just keep filling it and it's insatiable. It never is full. A hundred percent. So do you feel like your pattern definitely was like, out in clubs with a, a, a superficial people, like was that all 100%. tied into it? Yeah, all tied into it, a hundred percent. So that's part of the story, right? And then I actually went to school in the South. I went to school in um, Dallas, mm-hmm. and then I moved to LA, which then you know is just like the Super Bowls kind of of that kind of situation. And I really yeah, just took all it up addicts come to LA. It seems like we're just that's like why flopped. we have such a great um, recovery program. They always say wherever there's high uh, levels of addiction, there's great levels of recovery, which is true. Yeah. LA is a breeding ground for that. It's definitely. so funny. Yeah. But I made my way to LA and I was there for eight months before I went to treatment. Um, so that was a pretty fast descent, I would guess. So what was that bottom moment? Like what there was a lot of things. Your knees? I actually, so I have a two part story. I went to treatment in January, 2017, but I, I didn't necessarily go for addiction. I went for trauma, depression, and anxiety because that like, overwhelming you know when you have that hole and it feels like it's eating up inside you it was just getting so overwhelming yeah my, like a snake like I wanted to peel my skin and crawl yes, out of my skin exactly so I just kind of felt like that and it was kept growing and growing to the point where I just felt like if this is what life was like I didn't want to do it anymore you know I'm like this is this isn't fun this isn't a good time I don't get the point you know so like dark thoughts and and things like that. But I was just like, I need help. And it was the first time I voiced that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was eight months after LA, but I still didn't think I was an addict or an alcoholic. I wasn't even going for that. That wasn't even cross my mind. I was like, I just need to figure out how not to feel so shitty all the time. I didn't even think that like drugs and alcohol were a correlation to that. So um, let me ask you a question though. You said you just didn't want to be living anymore. Isn't, did you actually have suicidal thoughts or you just no, didn't want to be on this planet? Like you were like, I I'm kind of done. I just didn't get it. I was like so negative. And I just felt like everyone was always happy and 
you know, had that front or that happiness. And I was like, did mm-hmm. I miss like how to be happy 101 <laughs> class? Like yeah. did I missed that day of school or something. Cause it, everyone seems to have figured it out, but me. And so that's how I felt, but I didn't know that's just like the underlying any type of ism, you know, alcoholism or whatever, however they talk about it in meetings. Like that's kind of the, the thing of like, am I not enough? I'm not good enough. Why is everyone have this, but me, it's kind of all the same underlying system, right? Yeah. Oh, they all are the exact same. Yeah. So I went to treatment, but I just wanted to figure out not how, like, not to be so miserable, but I did. And, you know, you fill out those giant questionnaires when you get there, like 40 pages, 50 pages of every question you could ever be asked. Mm-hmm. And I meet with a counselor for the first time and he's like, okay, so we're going to put you on addiction track one. I'm like, addiction? You're like, what? what? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, look, I don't, I know you guys are like a top rated place in the country, but you have no idea what you're doing. These are my exact words. I'm like, if I'm an addict or an alcoholic, then so is every other 23-year-old in LA. Like, write famous last words. <laughs> oh my God, so, I love it. I love it when people come to my program and they're like, I don't have a problem. I just, you know, I just don't want to be with this person. I'm like, really? You're walking in the room. You're kind of saying you have a problem. So I had a kind of no idea what it was all about, but I started mm-hmm. learning a lot, right? Because whenever you're in a treatment program or somewhere for 30 days with no outside contact. All you do is you really get to focus on yourself and your issues and kind of like what makes you tick. So I was really grateful for the opportunity. I was actually so excited to get to treatment because I remember the guy was like, the driver that picks you up from the airport to take you to the center. I was like, don't take this the wrong way, but I've never seen someone so happy come here. Right. He like, well, my people are kicking and screaming or upset. He just said, you just seem so happy. And I was like, look, I know there's no way in hell that I'm leaving this place worse off than when I came in, which was true. I learned so much and it was, it was incredible. Did you think it was that pink cloud moment? Did you have that where you're like, okay, this will be the answer. This will fix me. Yes. Until, you know, (laughs) treatment's a very protected area. And then they're like, look, you should do sober living. You should do IOP. So I did all those things. And then I returned back to LA, Mm -hmm. but then life started getting hard and shit started happening. And like life got really, really tough, really, really quickly. Um, I I find that to be true. I find that the people that go to treatment and then there's always slips afterwards, then if you just like stay in your, where you are and then go to meetings. Is it different? Exactly. Because it's like taking you out of your, it's safer in the treatment center, but then you have to come out and learn how to relive again in your life with these tools while you're still trying to go through this withdrawal and stuff. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, I was in treatment for 30 days, so I didn't have any like withdrawals or anything at home, but then I went to sober living and did that I think for two weeks. And then I was like, look, I'm going to, my apartment's so close to here. I'm just going to stay there and I'll go to IOP and I'll do all the courses and you know, that kind of stuff. So I did that until June. So that was February till June of more intensive therapy Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. But then, you know, life started getting really tough. I had a friend who died of a fentanyl overdose at the end of June. He was like 23 years old. And that's just, you know, that's when you're like, oh shit, this is real. Like this actually happens. Um, And so that was a really hard, hard thing to understand because it was someone so unassuming. You're like, oh, that person has it all together. They're doing great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then that kind of was one of the reasons. Um, And then I had two more instances, one where a really close friend of mine uh, was also in the ICU 
mm-hmm. because of drugs. And then the last one was I came home and my roommate uh, was having some type of like overdose with from Xanax. And so I was like, if every single person in the, like my life that's been closest to me over the past, you know, 10 months or so, however long it was, is like dying or nearly dead. Like, I just feel like I was dancing with the devil. And so like that night after I went home from to my roommate and she was in the hospital, I was like, never again. I can't do this because I felt like I was next. Wow. And so that was October 12th. And then my sobriety date was October 13th. Wow. What? I mean, so sad, but at the same time, that's such a God shot for you to like, it's a God shot. Yeah. It's in your face. And it's like, this is going to be you next. Look at all these people around you and you have a chance to save yourself. And the beautiful part of that story is that both of those other two people are now sober as well. Oh, that makes me so so want to cry. That makes me know it's, it's very full circle and it's very interesting. Right. Cause it's like, but here's a question I, that just hit me. And I, I don't know if you even know how to answer it, but I just, you're younger than me. And I feel like I've been, you know, sober for 11 years now and um, sex and love addiction, but I feel like mo- recently younger and younger people are coming into recovery programs, 12 step and all that, because I feel like the younger generations are even more disconnected. Are you finding that true with your generation and and everything going on? I don't know what it was like previously, obviously, but for right now, there's definitely a, like, I'm not the only one. Let's put it that way. There's definitely a lot of um, young women, cool women, uh, our meetings, because I definitely go to women's meetings more. They're full you know, people of all ages, young, older, the whole nine yards. Yeah, um, the gamut, the gamut of people. For sure. There's, there's everyone. But for me, I know getting sober was, I had that hole, right? And I kept trying to fill it and nothing was ever filling it. And then when I started getting some clarity and some momentum about like what was actually happening around me, the greatest shot that I have to like live a life with someone that I'm proud of. And like, I'm proud of who I am and a life of true happiness is to, to do it sober. And so I was really lucky that I got that revelation at a young point in life. Cause yeah. some people, it takes a little bit longer and everyone has their own past and that's totally, you know, incredible. But for me, I was really fortunate that I picked it up very young. Yeah. I mean, my husband, which I will, he talks about, but he got sober at 19. That's incredible. Yeah. And he got sober at 19. But what I was talking about is like with the social media, everything being out there, all your personal stuff, this like filter society we live in where you put filters and you make it look perfect. I feel And I'm getting the gist that more and more people are disconnected from their reality and and living in fantasy. For sure. Which is why I love having these types of conversations. And it's interesting, right? Because I would think if, what would it be like if I didn't have an outlet like AA, right? That's when you hear, hear like the really raw conversations, you know, emotion, all the ups and the downs, like you hear all of it. But if you're just, if you don't have the privilege of having a program like that, where do you find that kind of support of that type of authenticity? I don't know. I feel like it would be difficult. I don't think it exists anywhere else, honestly, unless you're at a therapist's office and you're sitting with a therapist, but a community where people come in and just tell all their shit and all their dirty laundry, and they just put it out there and say, I am feeling 
empty and alone. I mean, where does people say that right now in society? I mean, a hundred percent agree with you. I have no idea. That's why I think it's so amazing. And also like, just cause of this whole COVID quarantine, like shit that's been happening. It's been so wild. Mm-hmm. I have found that the people that have coped and dealt with it the best have been addicts or alcoholics or someone in a 12 step program because they know how to deal with chaos in some type of way. Yeah. And they turn it over when things are For chaotic sure. and we have no control. I mean, this whole situation sees that we have no control over anything in the world, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Or I always thought like, I, I make my path. I have control over, you know, all that stuff. And really we have no control. So it's like, turn that over to God or your higher power, whatever you want to call it ASAP. Cause that's the only way you find serenity and peace. Like I couldn't have said it better myself. I think people also being so willing to try to figure out a new solution in this time, like, okay, we can't go to physical meetings. We'll we'll do Zoom meetings, right? And now you can be anywhere, literally in your house and connect to however many millions of meetings there are online right now and just like pop in and share your experience, strength or hope with someone. And, you know, we figured it out and, and we move forward. And I think that type of adaptability has been huge as well. My fiance is also in a program. And so I feel like every, you know, every moment with him is a meeting because that's all you know, they always used to say that it's just, you know, you need two people to have a meeting. That's all it it's is. It's true. I mean, my husband and I, our whole conversation almost every day is about, okay, can we turn that over? How are you feeling? You triggered me when you said this, like it's this whole exactly. other form of, and it's so lovely to talk to you. I didn't know your fiance or you were engaged is also in a program. How is that as a couple? Can you explain to our listeners? It's beautiful. It's definitely a blessing because I feel like we both know how to properly communicate and not to say, right, that like you don't have your ups and downs and like your fights and things of that nature. But I think we also met in treatment. So I'll preface that, but our stories definitely coincided on day one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we met in treatment and then disconnected a little bit and then kind of came full circle. Um, And it's been pretty crazy. I mean, we both go to meetings. We both know, you know, what we're supposed to do. We have conversations. We talk about if we're triggered, if, you know, if our feelings are hurt, we use I statements. We don't try to blame, you know, not to say that it doesn't get into, we don't have fights and things like that, but it's definitely much more, I feel manageable. And I feel like you feel like you're on the same team. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like you've gone to the same practice, you know, a partner, you know, exactly what everyone's hearing we're hearing the same message and we try to like live our life that way which is amazing because I feel like wherever our home is like it's so peaceful and serene and it's like you can get to that point because you know everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing does that make sense right Right. and I also sometimes if we're having a conversation and we can't like work it out one of us or mostly him will be like I think you should call your sponsor which I hate hearing that I'm like don't tell me to call my sponsor. That's so funny, but so true because it's a thing. Or it's a know, thing like don't tell me to who to call, or maybe like, don't call do my fellow. inventory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't take my inventory, but that's the best. <laughs> oh my but. god, I remember we had that like like months ago, and I was like, don't tell me to call my sponsor, and then I was like, so damn it, funny. I need to call my sponsor. <laughs> But, you know, more than 99% of the time, essentially, they're right. You're like, yeah, I def- definitely need to check in. 
but I was at a dinner the other night and we were with another couple and they were talking about how kind of like your partner is almost like your guru. Right. And just bear with me that oh it's gosh. kind of like they teach you things that you still need to learn and understand about yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, if I, am I looking at this through a way of like patience, I definitely need to be more understanding or see it through a different perspective. And so they challenge, I think the parts of you that still need to be challenged to grow. So that's yeah. been the best for me. Yeah. I definitely think you pick someone that can trigger those things that you still need to look at. And it's your choice to lean in and do the work and take responsibility. Because I believe if you don't work it out with, you know, a healthy partner, that you're just going to be replaying those scenarios with the next person. Exactly. You're going to replay the same tapes until you figure out how it goes. Yeah. Ooh, the ego. Ego is that. There's so much ego in everything that we do as humans, mm-hmm. right? It's like what best serves me. It's all about me, 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 the whole thing. And then for the first time in my life, when I went through treatment or recovery, it's not so much about me It's how can I be of service to you? That's yeah. really all it's about. Right. And the whole reason the program exists is so we can, you know, pass what we know and help another alcoholic or addict in need. And we well, that's why I do this podcast. I'm only doing it to help others that don't have a voice and don't know how to get out of their ego because they're edging, you know, the edging got out. out. Exactly. And just so you're listening, listeners, everything we're saying, if you would have said to me like 10 years ago, I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) So you can tell that we've both done some level of work because it's very (laughs) understanding. But if you would have said this to me at 21, I've been like, what are you on? Yeah, like get out of here. It's a cult. (laughs) Like I would have said like. I'm like, I don't relate to any of this. And my last question for you, and it's for the listeners, if, you know, especially a younger 23-year-old, 22-year-old, 21-year-old is, you know, struggling with excessive alcohol and the lifestyle and all that you encountered, what would be your advice for them if they are finding that hole, finding that they don't really like themselves or they don't know what's wrong? Well, it's interesting, right? Because I never once thought that it could possibly be due to alcohol. I was like, I actually felt better when I was drinking, but then I'd be coming home and I would feel hung over the next day. Right. And then I would feel worse. And it was just this spiral, this slow spiral. I kind of felt like, you know, when Alice in Wonderland, when she falls down the rabbit hole, I felt like I was always in that free fall. I remember drawing that when they say like, draw a picture of like a Disney, like, you know, figure that like, you feel like your life relates to. And that's what I drew. I just felt like I was always falling down. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I feel like if you've never been around AA or things of that nature, like you necessarily wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Sometimes people are like, Hey, I heard your story or you want to come into a meeting with me. I didn't have any friends that were in recovery, obviously, because your circle, you kind of are who your circle is. Right. People I was hanging around weren't talking about AA meetings and, you know, getting so. (laughs) Yeah. That wasn't my conversations. And so it wasn't until I had, it was such a blessing for people to go to treatment. And I went for literally depression, trauma, and anxiety. And I, it was so funny because when you're there, you know, you're like, hi, I'm Tess. I'm an alcoholic addict. Like I was literally there for everything but physical pain because I didn't have any broken bones or like major surgeries. Mm-hmm. So I was in every single program, like addiction, alcoholism, you know, trauma, depression, anxiety, all these different things. But I learned so much from that. From learning that is how I learned that it was really alcohol and my relationship to alcohol and my relationship to myself that drove me to drinking Mm. that 
was what I needed to look at. And so I think for me, it was, I was turning to, to using and, and drinking because I didn't know, I didn't do the work yet. You know what I mean? It's, I wasn't exposed to doing the work and I guess I wasn't ready to, otherwise it would have happened earlier, but I had no idea how much work it would take to learn how to, you know, that's the only thing that fills the hole is doing the work. Oh yeah. The only on thing. It's the only thing. And when I started doing that, then it, and it started feeling better. And I was like, okay, this is directly correlated. Yeah. hundred percent. I always say, like, I always say that work you do on yourself that nobody can take it from you. Nothing on the outside oh, can take it. You know, if your fiance or my husband leaves me or anything, the work you do on yourself is yours and yours alone. A hundred percent. It's yours and yours alone for forever. Yeah. And, and that is such a strong thing, I think. And the ability to stay sober through hard things. And that just like keeps adding to that. You know what I mean? Now it's what I'm most proud of. And it's what I hold probably nearest and dearest to me in terms of someone who's young and thinking that they might be struggling with the same things. I would suggest like hopping on a meeting and seeing if that's the space where you relate the most, because it wasn't until like I started hearing other stories where I really was like, Oh, that's me. I saw myself in other people. I heard similar stories and I was like, Hey, it's not the same exact thing, but I can relate to you. I can, I can relate to the same underlying feelings. Yeah. Um, And that's just why I think the program is so special and why it's so great and helps so many people because we're all kind of the same, same, but different. No, we're all the same. We all have fears of abandonment. We all want to be loved. We all want to feel worthy and you know, all those things as humans want to feel. For sure. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. It is just... Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so grateful for you for doing oh, I'm this. I'm so grateful for having this and being able to share the story on your platform. So thank you so much for having me. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.